The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songes on on SAFM. Well then, we are now in the new conversation, the protests that have erupted over the past two weeks in America on racism and police brutality led to the social movement, hashtag Black Lives Matter, to again be at the forefront of not just America's news now, but for sure international news. In recent developments, of course, private and Model C schools have been at the center of allegations of such racism with students, past and present pupils, sharing their experiences on social media. The institutional culture of these schools neither sought to be inclusive, adaptive, nor progressive after 1994, some of the allegations go. As one post so aptly stated, and this is a conversation for Mr. Hlengwa and Mr. Tsawa immediately after this to engage between themselves, these schools believe that textbook academia, Christianity and sport make their education better. Mr. Hlengwa, please do converse now with Mr. Ayabonga Tsawa, who will engage you. He was the head boy of one of the great schools in the Eastern Cape, Queen's College in the year 2008. He was head boy that year and of course we know the rivalry between Queens, Dell and even a better school than the two combined Selborne College. Ayabonga Tawe agrees but he's not going to say that on air. Mr. Tlengwa, take it away please. And as the um, Adela, good evening and welcome. How to it was returned last year you were interviewing me and now you're in the hot seat. <laughs> and welcome to <laughs> my show with the um, As we enter into this uh, conversation I must put the disclaimer that um, I myself went to former model C school um, with the guest that we just had as well and so I am keenly um, and vividly aware of the prevailing realities that take place um, in that space but the fundamental question um, before us is why does this persist when we have labored under the impression that the reconciliation agenda was the North Star of the 1994 moment. So I will kick it off in that fashion, Abonga, so that we can at least try and contextualize what we're grappling with so that we can be able to then have a discussion about how we fix it. And that is if we can fix it, given the hard-heartedness of some um, who persist on the racist trajectory. Ayabonga, it's all yours. Are you there? Yes, but I can't hear anything. Oh, I beg your pardon. Um, I'll just recap essentially what Mr. Tlengwa was saying in relation to the fact that these Model C schools have been, I suppose rightly so, because all three of us in this particular conversation then have got experience as former Model C school Model C school pupils, more especially yeah. given our ages at the times at which we were pupils in Model C schools, because for the most part, I mean, having gone to Selborne College in 1992, this was very early on in the dispensation, to the extent yeah. that you just want to place set the conversation in relation to some of the misses of Model C schools and private schools, might one add, for those African pupils who initially were not part of the school intake before the 1990s generation came over. What are some of the experiences that really sobered you up then or after the fact when you had an opportunity to re-engage yourself and your past? Yeah, I mean, it's quite it's quite interesting that, that um, you know, you put it that way. I mean, I, I went to Queen's College in 1997, uh, and I think I was seven years old at the time. Um, and of course, at that point, I probably didn't understand the the gravity of the situation uh, in the country, uh, you know, a country that had just come out of a transition. But I think, in hindsight, as I now reflect on it, 
Um, the issues go much deeper, I think, even than that first cohort of people uh, at the end of 1990 or early 1991 that went to some of these schools. I mean, if you think about the, the example of Dale College and King Williamstown, uh, there's an uh, often told story of um, uh, John Tengo Jababu's son, um, Davidson Don uh, Jababu, DDT. DDT. Um, and he had a massive challenge uh, after he left the Morija Institute in Lesotho coming back to the then Cape province, and his father wanted to put him in at Dale. And Dale College said, we, we can't accept him. I mean, this is at the end of the uh, Anglo-Boer War, so early 1900s. And they said, we can't accept you because you are black. Uh, and I think for me, that really spoke volumes about how invested and how interested these schools, uh, uh, many of them now Model C schools, were in the project of white supremacy uh, at different times in the history of our country. And you can see it in the traditions, uh, many of which we didn't question when we were at school because we might not have had the language to respond to them. Uh, and I think uh, many of us have been able then uh, with, uh, uh, I guess, uh, an informed understanding now to be a lot more critical. Uh, and I certainly have, have taken on that kind of role. I think a lot of my experience with songs also came from the fact that I was the first uh, black head boy in the 150-year history of the school. And so there was a massive responsibility on me, um, not only on the part of uh, saying, you know, don't mess it up on the part of the white community um, then in Queenstown, but also on the part of a very proud, uh, you know, black community from which I came that had its own strong history of, of resistance to colonial imperialism and its strong history in the liberation struggle as well. Uh, and so in a way, they saw me as a torchbearer there. And I think it was a difficult situation that I had to navigate, which also then made all of the microaggressions and even the bigger instances of racism a lot more pronounced when when I began to see them from that particular vantage point. Yeah, true. Um, I, um, I want to underscore what you are saying by the fact that at the time we may not have realized what was going on because I remember that um, when I was in grade uh, three, um, having been in that school um, for two years and then come to grade three, and then all of a sudden there was an old black kids class. And it didn't make sense then, but it was a, it became a talking point amongst the parents and to say what was going on. And so you had, um, you know, subtle uh, things done to reinforce the culture that uh, you are actually guests in these schools and that it's not mm-hmm. your purview. And so you've had to deconstruct over the longest of time and the fact that um, well, inclusivity is part and parcel of the new discourse. But you find that 26 years into our freedom and democracy, so-called, um, is the fact that we're still celebrating the first, that the first black head were after so many years, the first black student says, I mean, even things around the first black captain of a rugby team. And so it, the, the wheels are not turning fast enough. And transformation in that space um, has certainly not uh, been um, prioritized. We're all speaking about higher education and, you know, the fees must fall um, movement, amongst other things, was anchored in um, the agenda of decolonizing the education system. But we, we, the feeder into those systems is these schools, and that is why there is a culture shock when um, somebody who has, um, you know, lived a high school life where this is the reality. Then you bring them to university, to an institution of higher learning, and they must now grapple with the new reality that, no, actually, that's not how things are. So the agenda does need to shift, and basic education must focus on this 
um, to deal with the systemic racism which um, um, characterizes some of the, the, the schools that we are faced with. But Ibonga, the one thing which I was saying when you were saying you couldn't hear was why have things not changed um, mm. if we, we we were laboring under the impression of the 1994 moment, which is the reconciliation agenda? Why this resistance? Because I think we need to diagnose properly if we want to fix it, because there does remain an element of hard-headedness in certain quarters. Mm. I mean, I, I, I definitely think that a big a big part of it has also been about... Um, rightfully or wrongfully so, I think the, the naivety on the part of many of our parents at the time, I mean, I think a lot of our parents were very excited about the fact that, you know, their kids could go into spaces they weren't allowed to go into before. Uh, least of all, I mean, if I think about uh, the big traditional boys' schools in the Eastern Cape, um, a lot of them saw it as a, as a thing of pride. I mean, you know, I remember... Uh, uh, you know, someone like Steve Chwete, who even during the struggle would say that, you know, one of the things he wanted was for his children to go to Dale. Um, and so I, I think in the 90s moment, one of the difficulties that we had was that we had to temper, yes, the excitement and, uh, you know, the, uh, the happiness that, you know, some of these spaces that were bastions of white uh, privilege were being opened up to everybody. Uh, but what we didn't do in that moment was to question their basis and to question the traditions and to question uh, uh, the institutional makeup of, of, of these places, many of which, uh, by the way, might have majority black students now. But if you look at the staff complement, you look at the traditions, you look at the basis of power in many of these institutions, it still remains very white. And I think we need to be able to place this front of center in our conversation and not have a, a government, in my view, which is very reluctant to intervene. These are public institutions. These are government institutions that have been built on successive generations of taxes uh, that were levied on both black and white, uh, but for the sole benefit of the white part of our population. And I think uh, if we want these schools to continue to be public schools, then uh, they also have to be reflective of the other public, which for more than 100 years in some cases hasn't been part of the image-making, the agenda-making, and I guess the, the making of the identity of many of these schools, which I can still say even now in 2020, continues to be alienating, continues uh, to, to uh, place young black African children in a corner where their values, their hair, uh, and just who they are, the existence, is seen as something that uh, sits outside of the norm. Uh, and I think uh, what we've done is, is to shift from one, you know, Pretoria girls high, move to Parktown boys, and move from one incident to the next without really building a program that says this is how we're going to be able to intervene in these schools uh, to effectively decolonize them, because many of them really, in substance, in form, in nature and character, remain colonial institutions. You spoke about uh, pride um, of these institutions and how parents wanted to get um, the to or their children. Let me throw a spanner in the works and ask a question along the lines of stereotypical mm. outlook, um, which currently prevails. And the narrative is that, um, well, the model C schools educate better, teach better, and there's a better focus on schooling as opposed to what would happen in 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 in, in, in black schools. Let me just be, put it bluntly mm. like that. You township schools, and of course, there's the resource discrepancy um, amongst other things. But how do we bridge that gap along the lines of that narrative of stereotypes? Because you're finding people wanting to move their kids out of township schools and black schools simply because, amongst other things, 
there is a belief that, well, the high schools are better. Mm-hmm. Look, Mkuleba, I don't think it's just um, a stereotype. And, and I mean, I understand why you, why, why you would refer to it as that. I mean, if you place it into context, you, you place, uh, you know, Port Jefferson High School and, and you place, uh, say, another high school in the same uh, area, uh, that comes from a township. And you think about these histories. Uh, I mean, Songhezo says he, he went to, to school at Selborne in 1992. Now, 1992, in township schools in the bulk of South Africa, was the moment when people were still trying to recover from uh, the environment of no schooling or no normal schooling in an abnormal society. And so you already had about a lost decade or so in many of those schools. And we haven't been able to recover that lost decade. We haven't been able to recover that in, the, uh, in, in how we resource the schools and how we make sure we build, uh, you know, cultures uh, of uh, some discipline, routine, and some modicum of that in many of our schools. And I think on the flip side, the reality of it is that um, that decision is made in many instances in recognition of that inequality. It recognizes that, I mean, both of my parents were teachers. Uh, and uh, they always found it difficult to answer why they would not take me to the same school they taught at. And the reality of that is that even if they wanted to, they would realize uh, that notwithstanding all of their efforts, that the outcome of that process, due to the resources, due to the context around them, uh, would make it very suboptimal. I mean, if you think about uh, all that contributes to the holistic education of a child, it's not just what happens in the classroom. It's how many fields you have. It's whether or not you have, uh, you know, extramural activities in your school. It's where your school is and issues of safety. I mean, we, we never used to have issues of safety at Queen's College, but I can tell you in both of the schools where my parents taught, you had massive issues of safety, largely because of the intentional underdevelopment of our communities and by extension because our schools are not that, uh, are not. Uh, you know, isolated uh, or, or stuck in a vacuum, many of our schools have been on the receiving end uh, of, uh, I guess, the, the crisis that continues to unfold in many of our communities. And I think, you know, if we think of the schools as an isolated part of a bigger project of national reconstruction, then I think we miss the point. Uh, because the reality is that, uh, you know, for all of the issues that we're talking about, one of the things that accounts for the success of many of these model fee schools and that makes them a bit different to the public schools, is the burden of duty and responsibility that many of those in the surrounding communities of the schools have to the school. Um, and, and I think that is one of the cultures that we need to really reignite in our communities to say, if people are stealing textbooks or people are stealing uh, you know, uh, uh, lab equipment from uh, a school in a township like Sibukeng, what are the people in the township of Sibukeng saying? What is the civic in that community? What are the political organizations saying about that process? Uh, so that we don't have to find ourselves in a situation where we wait for 18 months to just have a security guard or somebody to make sure that some of these breakings don't happen. So, so I think it does require uh, a broad understanding of what is happening at a school level. But I think we're not going to fix some of these issues if we're mm, not mm, able to mm. intervene to the broader crisis in many of our communities. Let me intervene here, gentlemen, to the two of you. I have to take a call. A KGM in Rustenburg, good evening. Good evening, Mr. Good yes, evening sir. to both your guests and to the listeners. I, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a sigh because we we are very rhetoric as South Africans, and we articulate our, our, our understanding of what makes us, what doesn't make us, what breaks us. We we, we articulate, we talk, Songhezo, we talk, we talk, but but guys, talk is cheap. So the say goes, 
and it's a it's a very powerful state talk is cheap let's talk about what me as kgm and i'm going to push this song as well because i realize having participated in engagements like this for years now i look back and i ask myself you know you make a lot of sense on radio on media on platforms of of communications and discussions but the 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 bottom line is all these great minds, these ideas and so forth. Gentlemen, we are not implementing them. And for as long as we, 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 we do things the same way that we've done, the same way that our fathers and our grandparents, we're not going to win this battle. Let's talk about right now, at this point in time, at this juncture, what is it that I'm doing? And maybe just to wrap up quickly, Songhez. Please. I respect structures, but guys, a lot of systems, systematic structures were not meant for us. They were made for us. Politics, religion, the list goes on. Guys, let's create our own. Let's implement our so, own. The only time it is going to make sense to us, it you. is going to be when it is, it is from us, by us, for us, for as long as we are mimicking the the, the West and mimicking foreign, we're wasting our time. So yes, fantastic. Thank you so much, KGM. Call. Let me give you an opportunity to respond to that Ayabonga in as brief a moment as you possibly can, because we have all of forty seconds to finalise the segment. I mean, two issues that uh, I think the caller raises. I mean, I agree with the with the need and the urgency for action. Uh, but I'm also very cautious of action that is not informed by a clear program. It's one thing to respond to just issues as they arise. It's something entirely different to fashion a program uh, that is informed by how you see the future unfolding. Uh, and uh, I think the second issue that uh, the, the caller is raising is an important one, because many people are quick to say to, to some of us, yeah, well, you know, if you're not happy with what's happening at Queen College or wherever, why don't you go and create your own school? And I take serious exception to that, because... The point I made earlier on is that these are public institutions that have emerged on the basis of publicly funded programs that have built them to where they are. And the flip side of that is that they chronically underfunded many schools that uh, were there for black people. And, and so for me, the question that we should be asking is, how do we create in these schools, irrespective of their colonial origins, how Excellent. do we make sure that a Dale College, a Selborne College becomes an exemplary African school in a 21st century society? What kind of value system should we be putting in, in there that goes away from this hyper-masculine thing where, you know, the one thing that you need to know before you even know the, the national anthem is who the first 15 is. Um, and I think for me, those are the things that we need to confront and attack in every single space. And there's a role for us as teachers, there's a role for us as parents, and there's a role for us as, as, as old uh, and past pupils of these schools. Uh, and one of the things that we've been trying to do... I'm going to ask you to hold it there, Ayabonga, because I okay. know we can... in. We can talk about this indefinitely, but I do want to thank you now for your thoughts. And as I finalize this particular segment, final thoughts from you, Mr. Tlengo, as you say goodbye to the listeners. Have you enjoyed yourself? Anything else to say in 30 seconds? It's been an absolute pleasure. I thank you and um, SAFM and the SAFM listeners for taking the time to share the few things that um, I had to say. I think ultimately South Africa um, must pride itself in the knowledge that we are not short of ideas. Mm-hmm. 
where we lack is that we are short on implementation. But at the same time, there is power and merit in discussions because that is how we raise our own consciousness and those around us. We beat ignorance through reading, through education, and through discussion. And we are able to make informed decisions decisions for the future on the basis of what we are able to discuss. So I don't think we should shoot um, from the hip. I think um, ultimately I wish all the young South Africans a wonderful youth month and let's take up the courage of 1976 into the future, but let's also remain safe and actually um, take COVID-19 very seriously. But ultimately it falls on our shoulders um, as young South Africans to um, take this country um, into the future. We cannot delegate that responsibility to anybody else. Fantastic. Wherever you are, make a difference for the greater good of our nation. Thank you very much and God bless you. Thank you so much, my leader, Ms. Temkulegotlengwa, IFP, spokesperson, member of parliament and chairperson of SCOPA. Let's now go to what we normally do at this time, more or less. It's the book reading.